Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Dave. Well, good morning, everyone. Mark the day. That's something, isn't it? I'm marking the day. Uh, Because today, God can do anything at all that will glorify his name in your life and in my life. I marked the day of October the 15th, and that was the last time that I stood on a platform. So um, what happened there was I I preached the word to several hundreds of people. There was a a wonderful response, if I'm honest, and it was good. And then after that, there was somebody else that was due to minister. It was actually my son, and I was really looking forward to hearing my son. I hadn't uh, heard him perhaps once or twice at the most. And so I was sitting on the front row, when uh, suddenly I had some tightness across my chest and I began to perspire. And when I say perspire, I mean, boy, oh boy, it's coming back to me now as I remember it. I I was just, began to drip and, I mean, it was just uh, quite embarrassing, really. And the pain got uh, slightly worse. And uh, I, I didn't hear anything my son said, really. And virtually, I can remember it, but I do know that uh, the next thing that really is clear is I was in a wheelchair being pushed into see a consultant at Doncaster Hospital um, where they were treating me for a, a minor heart attack. I don't think it was a heart attack, actually. I'll tell you why, because since then I've had dozens of tests. I've had tubes put places where you wouldn't even want to know. Uh, I've had them... Uh, up places, down places, in places, and uh, all over the shop. And I've literally had uh, dozens and dozens of tests, my last one being actually last week, when I had a camera down my throat for the angiogram. I thought, they said, do you want to be knocked out, or do you want to, um, you know, just have the thing? I said, oh, no, I'm tough. Just give me the spray. That was a mistake. (laughs) Those of you that, that was a mistake. It was a mistake on two accounts. One, because when the thing starts to go down, it's quite strange. Uh, two, I don't think the amnesia or whatever it is, you're not amnesia, uh, the anaesthetic amnesia, tell us. <laughs> I don't think that worked too well, and so it's going down. And then the next thing I know, I can hear this crunching. And uh, so while it was down there, they, they, they did an operation on me that I didn't realise, and took out a... Um, they call it a, a polyp that was bleeding about that size, out the size of my stomach, and that was last week. And then my next one, when I go to <laughs> for more tests, is this week <laughs> on Friday. So what a journey it's been, and it's left me emotionally uh, drained. I have to say, more emotionally drained than physically drained. Um, I'm never far from tears. Seeing my friends uh, Suzanne and Martin and and, and Arthur and. Uh, David and Leanne and Pete, I mean, it just gets you. And I've never, ever been like that. And to stand before you, I want to compliment you as a congregation uh, because um, I have actually should have been preaching or I've had dozens of, of preaching engagements that I've turned down uh, and, and had to. And this was the first one that I said I was willing to take simply because I really felt I was amongst friends. Um, I'm a trustee of the church here. I was the one that uh, was instrumental in bringing Dave and Leanne to be your pastors. I'm just from up the road in Coventry. I have a great love for Leamington Spa. 
And, uh, and, and so I, I wanted to be here today, and uh, I, I thought you'd be gracious with me no matter how it goes. Uh, you know, above everything else, I really want God to say something to you. Um, I want you to mark the day. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for an opportunity to share something from your word. I ask that you will help me to communicate something of divine truth today, and that, Lord, your name will be glorified. Amen? Amen. If you've got your Bibles, or these days it's on iPads or iPhones, I'm going to read a passage of scripture from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. Matthew 17 and verse 14. It says this, that when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Jesus. He knelt down to him and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. He suffers severely and he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Uh, and he rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, hey, wh why couldn't we heal him? And why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be uh, done. For nothing shall be impossible for you. However, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. <clears throat> I want to paint a picture, if I may, this morning for a little while in setting the scene for what I really want to share with you as we go through these verses. In verse 14, we're introduced to two kind of groups of people, a multitude and an individual man. There was the crowd and there was a man that came. Today, I see you as a crowd. I stand before you, I can see your faces and we're here together corporately, but also I see you as individuals. And I want you to realize that the Christ of God is no different from when this event happened many, many years ago. He's interested in the crowds, but he's also interested in the individual. And I think the moment that we lose the sight of God being interested in individuals, then we really are on a slippery slope. And so there's the multitude and the man in verse 14. And, and the man approaches Jesus, and I want you to see how he approaches him. He came before him and he knelt down. It symbolized humility. It symbolized that here was somebody coming to Christ, surrendered and lowly. I will tell you right at the start here that I would like some of you to be prepared to meet with Jesus afresh today. I'd like to meet with him afresh. I know he's interested in me as an individual and he's interested in you. But your approach to him has got to be the same as the man in this account. We come to him just as we are. We approach him humbly. We approach him full of surrender. And in verse 15, the story moves on and there's then an appeal that is made. Lord, will you have mercy on my son? You see... It's an amazing thing that this man was not making an appeal to Jesus and approaching him on behalf of himself. He was approaching him on behalf of another. 
I've got some great news for you this morning. Have you got a relative that's poorly? Have you got a son away from God? Have you got a daughter that's in pain? Then you can approach the Lord on behalf of another. Or is it you that has those scars inwardly or outwardly? You can approach him for yourself. For the message of the gospel is the same as it has been down throughout the centuries. The whosoever may come. And so he approaches Jesus on behalf of his son. Oh, but boy, what an approach it is. Because he says, Lord, I want you to do something for my son who's an epileptic. Uh, my, my son is somebody that suffers severely. He fits, he falls. In fact, Jesus, I guess, only a miracle will do. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever the same. As we approach Christ in the same manner as this man, on behalf of ourselves or on behalf of another, with only a miracle going to be the answer to the cry of our heart, we'll see what happens. I want us to approach God with a big ask. In verse 16, we observe that this man, he comes and he calls. And he says, actually, I didn't first approach you. I went to your disciples. <laughs> Often we, we chase men and we chase women. I'm glad there's some great men and women of God around. I'm glad there's some that God raises up that we can identify as carrying perhaps an anointing or carrying some particular gift. But I want to tell you that actually today, it's a day when I want our eyes to be focused upon one and one only. You, you might have been to other pastors or other preachers. You might have been to those that can lay their hands on the sick and found that actually your prayer has not been answered. <laughs> the disciples, they were not able to meet the need of this man or this man's son. It wasn't that they wouldn't, and it wasn't that they shouldn't, it's just that they couldn't. And so, he speaks, the Christ. And he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long have I got to be with you? Listen to this. He says, bring your son to me. To me. Our eyes go off a preacher. Our eyes go off a church. Our eyes go off for pastoral leadership. And the voice of the Spirit speaks and says, is there one, is there two that will respond on behalf of another or on behalf of yourself and realize it is Christ and Christ alone uh, that this message is all about. Bring him here to me. Your need can be met in me. Your impossible situation can be met with a miracle by me. And then in verse 18, very, very unusual verse with some very, very unusual observations. Because now, Jesus doesn't speak to the man. He doesn't speak to the crowd. He doesn't speak to his disciples. He doesn't speak to the epileptic. He speaks to a demon. Hmm, interesting. 
It says that he spoke to the demon and he rebuked it. That actually is a legal term, a term that has to do with being adjudged. I wanted to say, and I'm not big on this, but I am very, very aware that our wrestling and our warfare in life is not against flesh and blood. It's not against those that may speak ill of us or seek to do us harm. That actually the whole battle that anyone faces is a warfare in the heavenly realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I believe, let me tell you, in angels. I really believe in angels. Driving here, there was one in the car. It was my wife, but next to her, there was another one. Perhaps two, I don't know, because the Bible tells me he gives his angels charge over us to keep us in all. I believe in angels, do you? It's great to believe in angels, but let me tell you, I also believe in fallen angels. I believe in the realm of the demonic. I believe there is an enemy out to get us. And whereas my message is not about demon possession today, let me tell you, it's a very real subject. And all too often we shy away from recognizing that the cause of all that happens can sometimes be placed, if not always placed, upon the demonic realm. So Jesus rebukes the demon and, yes, the Bible says... The result, the child was cured. The miracle was immediate. And from that very hour, the boy was cured. I'm so glad that actually sometimes we don't need to wait for a miracle. Sometimes we do. Sometimes Jesus actually says, go on your way. And as you go on your way, they'll become a healing. But also, he's the God of the instant. I've seen it. Let me tell you, I can testify to it. I've seen it in healings and in demon possession that instantaneously God can do a work. And because I've had a long time to pray about today, I've been praying for some instants. I've been praying that God would do something instantaneously for the man or the woman that will approach Christ humbly on behalf of themselves or on behalf of another and cry out to him, and then the disciples in verse 19, they come to him privately. Have you ever gone to Jesus privately? I have. You begin to pour out your heart. You begin to talk to him. Well, why this? Why that? They come and they say, why couldn't we cast out that demon? <laughs> hmm. Now Jesus speaks not to the man or to the boy or the demon or the multitude, but he speaks to his disciples. I think many of you in this room are Christ's disciples, all on different levels of our journey. But now Jesus speaks to his disciples and he speaks to us in this room. And he says, oh dear, actually we don't see what we want to see because of unbelief. We just haven't pushed in enough in the area of faith. This kind that you've been looking at today with this demon-possessed boy, actually, it only comes out by prayer and by fasting. You see, true discipleship involves real discipline. Freedom results from faith. Miracles. 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 
are not in taps. They are in the source that flows through the tap. I want to read something to you. Thomas Edward Lawrence. Do you know who he was? He was born on August the 16th, 1888 in Wales. And he was popularly known as Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence became famous because of his exploits as in the British military liaison to the Arab Revolt during the First World War. The desert raids of the British officer T.E. Lawrence and his Arab rebels tied down many Turkish troops who could have been fighting the main British armies in the Middle East. And Lawrence of Arabia's struggle against the Turks during World War I was classic guerrilla warfare. Uh, his personal account has become a classic of world literature and many of you perhaps have seen the movie about the life and times of Lawrence of Arabia. He wrote a book called The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. But it was during the war that Lawrence formed close friendships with many of the sheiks of Arabia. And after the war, he brought some of these sheiks back to England to show his appreciation for the, what they'd done. Well, on the last night, they had a wonderful visit. They appeared at the Joint House of Commons, Parliament, had an audience with the Queen. But on that last night, Lawrence offered them anything that they wanted to take back to their desert homes. Have you got the picture? And they led Lawrence to the hotel room and into the bathroom, to the faucets, to the taps <laughs> on the bathtub. And they said that they wanted to take the taps with them so that it would be able to provide running water in the deserts. They didn't realize that the faucets, the taps were superficial. Behind them was the plumbing, a hot water system, a heater, an energy source that heated the water, a city main that supplied the water, and from the city main went a line to an outside source of water. They didn't realize that the source was not the tap. It was that that flowed through the tap that was all important. The miracle of the water supply wasn't in the tap itself, it was behind it. The taps, they could be 24 karat gold, but it ain't, if it ain't attached to a water supply, then they're useless. It's the things that were not visible to the naked eye that was the real provision. If the pump or the plumbing or the reservoir was out of service, you could turn on the tap, but nothing would happen. The tap cannot in itself provide what is needed. Behind the taps, it's what's behind them that gives the water. And all too often, we fail to experience a miracle because we're looking perhaps to the wrong person or perhaps in the wrong place and we're making the wrong plea. Again, bring your need to me. Again, it's Jesus alone, his words, his ways, his will, his power that's all important. And so a couple of observations as we begin to bring it to a place where I trust God is going to invade this place. Oh God. With your presence. I want to say that 
the taps are necessary to get the water where it needs to be. I don't want to minimise the importance of the vessel. God needs taps. God wants disciples. In fact, God has always worked through humans. Whew. This is an amazing thing. I... He works through humans like you and me. That's what he's looking for. I, I can't fully grasp it. God works through unlikely vessels. Taps. Imperfect people. Most of them like, oh, this godly great guy. Davy. The truth is this, that God can just use anybody. Moses, he stuttered. David's armour didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers and Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob, he was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich and Abraham was too old. David was too young and Peter was afraid of death and, well, Lazarus, he was dead. John was self-righteous, Naomi was a widow, Paul was a murderer, and so was Moses. Jonah ran from God, Noah was a drunkard, Miriam was gossip, Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal, Elijah was burned out, Martha was a worrywart, Mary may have been lazy, Samson had long hair. Did I mention that Moses had a short fuse and got angry? But God doesn't require this morning a job interview with you and me. He knows all about us. He doesn't hire or fire like most bosses because he's more of a dad and a father than our boss. He doesn't look at financial gain or loss. He's not prejudiced or partial. He's not judging nor grudging. He's not sussy nor brassy. He's not deaf to our cry. He's not blind to our needs. <laughs> Taps are necessary. And this morning, I want to tell you something. You are necessary to see your community and this church grow. You're necessary to the miracle that God wants to do. The second thing is this, that God is looking for willing taps. You see, God wants us to be his taps. John 7 and 38 says that he believes in me, as the scriptures have said, for out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. God's got all the plumbing in place, hallelujah. His pump is hooked up. He's ready to put out his blessing upon his people. I believe he's a miracle-working God. But he does need us to be vessels. He does need us to be his taps and to be willing. You know, in many cases, the only thing that stops a move of God is the lack of a vessel. When Elisha was performing the miracle for the prophet's widow, the oil was flowing freely. The Bible says in 2 Kings 4 and verse 6, And it came to pass that when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me yet another vessel. And he said to her, But there aren't any more vessels. There's no more taps. There's no more jars. There's no more... <laughs> and it was then that the oil stayed. Or if you like, the, the flow of the oil stopped. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? I'm saying that with no proper or willing or available vessels, no willing taps, God isn't able to perform the miracle. God requires you and me to make ourselves available. The only thing that stops the flow, the only thing that stops the experience of a miracle is the lack of a willing person 
Not perfect person, but just someone that says, here I am, take me. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why God has decided to use imperfect vessels to accomplish his work. I'm kind of glad that he does. Don't ask me why the creator of the universe chooses broken people. And I'm pretty broken at the moment. Don't ask me why he does that. Don't ask me why he chooses sinful people. And standing before you as a sinner, one that's been saved by his glorious grace. Don't ask me why God would use people like me or you, but I just know that he does. He's always looking for men and for women through whom he can move, meet people's needs, answer their prayers, provide the miracle. Because remember, the miracle is not in the tap. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out of his spirit upon all flesh. He filled some vessels. In Isaiah chapter 49 and verse uh, 18, it says these words. It says, don't you remember the former things? Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. And now it's going to spring forth and you'll know it. I'll even make a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, the beasts of the field in the wilderness and the rivers of the desert um, because I will give waters in the wilderness. Yes, those rivers, 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 rivers in the desert. This morning will you realize afresh that God is looking for vessels through whom he can move. Ezekiel said that God was looking for a man to stand in the gap. When God struck Paul on the road to Damascus, he told him, well, you go. And you see a man called Ananias, and I'll, he'll tell you what to do. The book of Revelation, John informs us that God wept because he couldn't find a man to open the book of salvation. And so he took it upon himself, the form of a man, Christ Jesus, to bring redemption. God is looking for taps through whom he can flow. Oh, I wish I, wish I could come and look you all in the eyes. I want to tell you something. God's looking for you. He's looking for you to just approach him humbly and say, God, will you do something afresh in me? So we come to the third and the final thing to wrap it all up. It's true that God, we must realize that the taps are necessary to get the water where it needs to be. It's true that God is looking for willing taps. But hearken well to what I say. But man must never, ever take the glory for what only God can do. It's a privilege to be able to allow God to use us. Um, I don't know how many more times I'll preach. Nobody does. I consider it a privilege today, although it's perhaps not my usual style. It's not, well, I'm a different person. But should God break in amongst us this morning? Should God confirm his word with a sign or a wonder or a miracle? I want to tell you something. Every bit of praise and every bit of glory must go to him and him alone. Mark the date, Dave. 
If ever the power supply gets shut off or cut off from behind the wall, the switch won't work, the vessel becomes useless, the tap provides no water. You know, it can look good, it can still say the same things. It can appear as it always did, but without the power source, nothing can happen. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 20, it's one of the most scary verses in the whole of the Bible. And in that verse, Delilah says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he woke from his sleep and he said, Well, I'm going to go out as I have done before. At other times, I'll shake myself free. But he didn't know the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Do you know, great drumming, great, great keyboard playing, great leading. All glory must go to him. And any gift that you have, and any anointing that comes, is all down to him. It's the same with preaching. You can say this stuff. But without the anointing, without that touch of God, it really is meaningless. It can be a golden tap with no flow. Romans 12 and verse 3 says, For I say through the grace of God given to me, that every man that is amongst us not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. No matter how many prophecies we give, no matter how many preachers we speak, no matter how many people we've been for Jesus, we've never got to forget that it's only because of God's grace, God's goodness, God's anointing that we can ever do anything. So we remember our Bible reading this morning as we close it. Jesus is teaching his disciples a very important lesson. They'd seen him cast out demons many times before and they'd witnessed him heal the sick many times before. They'd heard him teach on kingdom principles many times before and yet now they come across a situation in which they felt confident because they knew his words and they knew his actions and they knew his motions. They knew everything apart from the fact that they had no power. They had nothing because there was nothing flowing through them. No prayer. No fasting. <laughs> There's no miracle in the tap. No magic in the conduit. And this morning I only want to do one thing. I'd love to be a conduit to pray for people. I'd love to pray for you. Or perhaps a need that you have. Or somebody else has that you know. And this morning you say, John, by responding we realise we're not really coming to you. We're coming to the one through whom can flow through the individual to meet the need. If you would like prayer for yourself or someone else, will you come and stand out the front? We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.
www.thepetsmoney.org.